welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text, we finish the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, and with very little rest in the text itself, we begin the third. Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Eustace, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are of my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centre he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. As the text starts out, Paul goes from Athens to Corinth. Uh, this is a, a bit of a journey to the west, still in the region of Achaia. 
You can ask your kids here if they recognize this city of Corinth. Trying to get them to put the scriptures together is, uh, we're not all that clever in naming things. Uh, the book of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, are written to the church that Paul will plant here in the city of Corinth. So there's connections to be building with our kids as they understand the history of scripture and how it came together. There he finds Aquila and his wife Priscilla. They have left Italy to come to Corinth. Uh, Aquila had been from Pontus, which is actually northeast of Galatia, so all the way across the Aegean Sea and all the way up to the north by the Black Sea uh, is where he is from, but he and his wife somehow had made it all the way over to Rome until Emperor Claudius had kicked them out. Now that's an interesting note, as we've been seeing, and we even see it in this text too, down in verse 13, but the Jews in the previous cities of Athens and Philippi have tried to make it sound like Paul, well, not Paul. They're, they're trying to make it sound like the, the Jewish people are in good favor with the Romans and that Paul is trying to disturb that. And that's simply not true. It never was, not even in the time of Jesus, a couple of decades prior to all of this. And that's why there's all the events during Holy Week and the lead up to it where the Pharisees and the others wanted to kill Jesus, but they were hesitant because there was so much turmoil turmoil with Rome already. They didn't want to agitate that and cause the Romans to send in troops to just destroy stuff, which they end up doing, right? The, the Romans go to war with the Jews probably about two decades after this text. So... That relationship is not strong, but they've been leading us to think that it is. Here's your first hint, maybe in the book of Acts, at least. We've certainly had it in the Gospels, but here in the book of Acts, that there is not as good a relationship as these people think that there is. Now, we learn that Paul is a tent maker, and that he then works with Priscilla and Aquila just to make a living, to make do, uh, as he's preaching the Gospel in that community. He goes to the synagogue every Sabbath, seeking to persuade them, just as has been his normal custom. Verse 5, Silas and Timothy finally catch up. Um, they had been sent for a while back, and they, they finally get to Paul, and they do, when they do, they find him preaching to the Jews about Jesus, and he's being opposed. He shakes out his garments, which is a connection back to Jesus' instructions to the disciples all the way back in Matthew chapter 10, that if anybody refuses to hear you, to receive you even, to hear the word of God, shake off the dust of that town, from even, even from your sandals, your feet. And so we see Paul doing something similar here. Then Paul tells them that their blood is on their own heads. He is innocent. That connects back to the prophet Ezekiel, uh, God telling him that if he would go and preach the word, call his people to repentance, then Ezekiel himself would be innocent, but they would keep their guilt. However, if he would not tell them, he would not go and preach to them the word God instructed him to, then he also would be responsible for their guilt, not just they themselves. So Paul here, very much a similar statement. And he says, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And that's part of why we know him as such. Paul for the Gentiles, Peter for the Jews. We'll see more of that before the book of Acts is over. It'll be interesting, just as we follow through the text, to see if this is the breaking point where Luke finally stops referring to the Jews as family. Up until this point, we've seen the apostles, as they interact with crowds of Jewish people, treat them as though they're just misled brothers. 
because they worship the Old Testament God, but they've been misled to, to not see the Messiah as Jesus, who he truly is. And there's been opposition, there's been fighting back, there's been persecution from the Jews against the apostles. And today, as we think of the church, we wouldn't look to the Jews and say they worship the same God. They've rejected Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus as God, so we don't have the same God as they do because Jesus is God from the Old Testament and the New. And so this might be that point. I haven't I haven't read ahead with that in mind. So as we continue to go through these chapters together in the next couple of weeks to finish out the book of Acts, we'll see if we notice anything along those lines. All right, um, continuing on. Paul then goes to Titius Eustace, who is a worshiper of God, so that, that connection probably meaning he's a, a Greek, a Gentile, just like verse 6 said. Although then he, we also learn that Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue at the time, believed and is baptized. And as are many other Corinthians, God visits Paul, tells him to keep on speaking, keep on preaching, because God is with him, and there are many more in Corinth that God has called by his name. So Paul does. 18 months he remains in the city of Corinth, planting the church there um, and strengthening them before leaving town. Then we get the account of Gallio. Uh, Gallio is a Roman proconsul serving the region of Achaia. Uh, we have an inscription that was found at Delphi in Greece that places a Gal Gallio, I keep wanting to say Galileo, Gallio in, in that region as proconsul in 51 and 52 AD. So we have historical, geographical evidence, archaeological evidence, I guess is better to say, um, of his rule in that time, which puts it right around the time that we would have had the second missionary journey. So these things work together. The Bible is a historical document, just as much as anything else. Uh, well, that's not fair to say. The Bible is, is God's word for us. It is the gospel. It is the good news. Uh, so it is that first and foremost. It tells us about Christ and what he's done. But that's, that's a lot of historical, too. So there's a lot of historical value to God's word, and, and it is truly a historical document. Anyway, the Jews continue to claim uh, that Paul is riling up the people to break the law. Paul, about to defend himself, doesn't have to. Gallio does. Kicks him out. <laughs> he doesn't care. This, is, this has nothing to do with him. It's not a vicious crime. He's not concerned about it. Um, that shows probably a lesser concern about spiritual things for that particular proconsul himself. Afterwards, we see that they seize Sosthenes and they beat him, um, and we're told he was the ruler of the synagogue, so no longer Crispus. 18 months have passed, so um, whatever happened to Crispus, we don't know. Maybe he, maybe he died, um, and Sosthenes is the, the new ruler of the synagogue in his place. I don't, I don't have an answer there. Maybe the Jewish people kicked him out uh, because of his faith in Christ. Um, but it seems Sosthenes shared that faith. Paul stays longer um, before leaving finally, aiming ultimately for Syria, which is going to get him back to Antioch. And he takes Priscilla and Aquila with him, although um, he's going to leave them behind in Ephesus. So, Centurea is southeast from Corinth. It's a port city in Achaia. We learn Paul cuts his hair. That connects to the Nazarite vow of Numbers chapter 6 that he must have taken. Um, you take that as a temporary vow. Uh, it could be, there's no time to it 
you could do years if you wanted to or presumably just months uh, there are sacrifices to go with that and, and other things that's an interesting note to see Paul having having taken such a vow considering the the, the customs of the law that are no longer needed to follow as we heard back in chapter 15 from the Jewish uh, sorry the Jerusalem council he sails across the Aegean Sea, pretty much straight east, landing there in Ephesus. And he goes, just like he has been doing, even though he said he wouldn't, he goes straight to the synagogue. Uh, and he preaches there. He teaches there. He tells them, as they ask him to stay longer, that he will return if God wills it. Stop and ask your kids here. Does God will for Paul to return? Well, did God will for Paul to return to Ephesus? Will we see him go back there? And see what they think. The answer is yes, um, and it's the very next chapter, actually, chapter 19, as Paul is going to plant this church in Ephesus, and then that's another Bible book that we have, the, the letter to the Ephesians, is, is written to those brothers and sisters in Christ. So he leaves there, he goes down to the Sea of Galilee, uh, uh, near the Sea of Galilee again, sorry, back to the really the area that used to be the nation of Israel, as Caesarea is to the west of the Sea of Galilee. So he's on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea again. It says he went up and greeted the church. That's a reference to Jerusalem. Uh, pretty much Jerusalem is up from every direction that you could have been on the map because of its elevation. And then he goes down from Jerusalem and he heads to Antioch. By arriving back in Antioch up to the north, he has completed his second missionary journey, um, which would have lasted for some time, really. Um, I'm not sure if I have a good date range on his his second missionary journey. At least not right at not right at my fingertips here. Um, let's see if the Lutheran Study Bible provided one back at the the outset. It doesn't look like it did. So mentioned already the years 51 and 52. Um, the first missionary journey had happened in 47, 48, that kind of a time period. So we, we see his stay in Corinth lasted for 18 months. So, you know, putting a date on this of a, of a few years, around 50 into the early 50s, would seem the most likely. Sorry, I didn't think to look that up before recording today. Um... The third missionary journey starts immediately after that, although in context it's not. So verse 23, after spending some time there, so there's some rest in between journeys, he departs and he goes to the regions of Galatia and Phrygia. So back up into Asia Minor again to strengthen the church there. The third missionary journey has begun. But we take a break from that first to hear about this man named Apollos, who came from Egypt, from Alexandria, up to Ephesus. And he was well-versed in Scripture, the Old Testament, and he's teaching about Jesus and how the Old Testament points to Christ. Priscilla and Aquila hear him and notice what they do. They take him aside. This is going to be a big point for Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth later on, chapters 11 through 14, about good order within the church, within worship. Um, and so you're not supposed to disrupt the assembly uh, the Christian assembly, at least. But if you have questions uh, spoken of to, to the wife, if you have a question, ask your husband at home. 
Um, there's only one person should speak at a time rather than having multiple people speaking in tongues uh, at the same time where nobody understands anything. So those are kind of instructions uh, we see in that letter, and, and it makes sense as we see it here too. Rather than stand up and get argumentative about the gospel with Apollos, which would have caused division then in the church too, they wait, they take him aside, they teach him, they show him from the scriptures even more truth about Jesus. They, they add to what he knows, and they strengthen him. So rather than perhaps publicly humiliating him, they've built him up as a brother in Christ. So there's something good to be learned from that kind of an example. Then they send him, uh, knowing that he wanted to go to Achaia, uh, the church, the brothers, send him. And he's able to help strengthen the faith there uh, in the, the churches in Achaia, refuting the Jews and showing, as Paul was doing, that Christ is Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ. Uh -huh.